a lot of the technologies that are out there don't solve all of the problems that people have. And what we decided to do was attack the one space that nobody had actually had a solution for, which was the fact that negotiation is the largest and most painful part of the contracting process. Welcome to For the Record, where we go on the record with today's leading influencers and experts to discuss the latest trends in legal innovation and the business of law. I'm your host, Aaron Harrison, and today we're joined by Dan Broderick, who's the co-founder and CEO of Black Boiler, the leader in automated contract review. Black Boiler works with law firms, legal departments, as well as ALSPs on the pre-execution side to make the contract review process more efficient. So Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me today. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, likewise. So before we get started, uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and uh, Black Boiler in terms of what what the problem is that you guys are trying to solve? Right. So I was a practicing attorney for seven years in the D.C. area, and I spent a lot of time reviewing and marking up contracts for clients. And at one point, I was seconded to one of my clients who had just had a lot of growth. And when I would go to their offices and I was given a playbook and I had to review and mark up contracts uh, that were often on counterparty paper and go through this negotiation process. And I found myself just making very similar edits to very similar documents over and over again. And I thought that this process was just super inefficient and that my bo- our, my client was paying us an awful lot of money to do work that we had essentially already done. But it really struck me just how inefficient this whole process was when I was back in the law firm one day and I was at my secretary's workstation and I found a contract that had been marked up and tracked changes and I brought it into my boss's office and I asked him, who did this work? And he said he had done it. And I said, I did that exact same work 10 days ago for a different client. And we hadn't done kind of work for the same client, but we had reviewed and negotiated the exact same subcontract for different people. And we had done the exact same work. And I said, you know, if we sit right next to each other and we're doing the same work and we don't know it, though, this has to be happening all over the the world. And so uh, I went about trying to figure out if there was a way to solve this problem. And eventually I was connected to my co-founder and CTO, Jonathan Herr, and we met one night at a bar in DC and I brought in a bunch of contracts that I had pulled off the internet. And I said, you know, I mark up contracts that look like this and I'm basically doing the same thing over and over again. And he looked at me and said, well, surely somebody's doing this already, automating the process of marking these up because this is clearly possible. And we spent some time looking and we couldn't find anybody who was actually solving this problem. And so then we went about trying to, to see if we could do it. And that's how we started Black Boiler. Uh, and so what we do is we we automate the process of high volume and repetitive contract negotiation by learning from how our clients review and mark up contracts to create client-specific models that can review and mark up previously unseen documents. And we do this right in track changes right inside of the Word document, just like a human would do. So Black Boiler actually edits the documents. That's right. We edit the documents by learning from human work product. We are, we are not a comparison to standard tools, so it's not like a docu- document comparison. It's mm-hmm. actually going in and editing the native files of the Word documents. Got it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of inefficiency out there, and I think 
That's been validated by the demand that we're seeing for tools like Black Boiler. And we've seen so many players emerge in this market specifically um, over the last year or so. Uh, why do you think that the contract space has become so crowded? I think there's a couple of reasons why it is so crowded. Uh, first, I would say that contracts touch every single operational function in an organization, and they are related to any sort of transaction of goods or services uh, and anything within a supply chain to get goods or services into the market. So we just have a ton of contracting that happens worldwide. I would say that it's very difficult to find two organizations that contract exactly the same way. So there is no one size fits all service out there. There's no one CLM tool that is soup to nuts that can solve everybody's problem. And so because of that, there's room for a lot of different players in this market, uh, just because of the sheer size and also because people tackle the problem in different ways. Part of the size problem goes to a market segmentation, how the different CLM products kind of are built to solve different processes within contracting. I think the global kind of understanding is that CLM is this big umbrella term. Mm -hmm. But within that big umbrella term, there's, there's lots of room for solutions. There are solutions that are just for e-signature, right? Or there are solutions just for contract generation. Uh, there are workflow tools that are out there that you know do a really great job of connecting different pieces of technology. And what we decided to do was attack the one space that nobody had actually had a solution for, which was the fact that negotiation is the largest and most painful part of the contracting process. Um, you know, we we estimate that just within the global 2,000 organizations, there's up to 35 billion dollars being spent on high volume contracting. So things that you know organizations do more than a hundred of every single year, things like services agreements or vendor agreements or data protection agreements or NDAs. And there was no good solution for that. Largely the only thing that had been tried was labor arbitrage. And Black Boiler recently received your seventh patent from the USPTO. And I understand you have more pending. And it seems like um, this is, I think, especially for a startup organization, um, you know, it requires a lot of effort and resources to actually go through the patent process. So why is it so important to Black Boiler? Why have you decided to put all those resources into securing these patents? So there's a couple of reasons why we've taken the approach that we did. Number one, we just knew how big the market was and what a pain point this was. And that if we could solve the problem, it was very, very valuable piece of IP to have uh, the ability to learn from historical edits to make new edits. So that's that's one of the reasons. Number two is the United States is a first to file jurisdiction as it comes to IP. So even if you are the first person to invent something, somebody can come along after you and file IP. Uh, and have patents, and that could potentially, in some ways, prevent you from being able to operate. And so we thought from an operational and making sure that we can continue uh, to own what we've developed, because it took a lot of time to develop it, and to make sure that you know we have the rights to continue to do what we want to do, we, we filed for the IP. Um, we do have seven patents. All of our patents are related to automated editing. All seven right now are in the U.S., although we have a notice of allowance in Canada and we have pending applications in the United States, Canada, and Europe. 
and I would say that having IP is a long, long-term strategy. It's certainly not something that you know you can file for a patent and it's gonna you're gonna get it within like a couple of months or something. I think the fastest one we got was probably five months. Mm-hmm. But as a small organization in the United States, you can apply for patent prosecution using Track One, and internationally you can use the Patent Prosecution Highway, which will obviously make that process more efficient. I will tell you that with our first patent, though, when we got to the examiner's office. Uh, and had a conversation with him, he looked at the IP and he said, this is really amazing. I've been doing this for 15 years, all about kind of linguistics and search and all this stuff. And he's like, I've never seen a patent like this before. This is this is really interesting and really unique. And, and we thought so as well when we started filing these. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we've been so successful is that the space was wide open for us. Yeah, absolutely. So we're seeing a lot of tech or legal tech companies consolidate lately. You know, we're seeing giants buy up smaller companies um, as well as mergers take place. Curious, what do you think this means for the overall industry and whether you think that this is a positive or maybe a negative for competition? I think the consolidation is largely a result of uh, a lot of money being spent in the, in the space, there's a lot of venture capital and private equity money in this space. And so, you know, one of the strategies for private equity, obviously, is to, to buy up companies and consolidate them and, and be able to offer more services and do it more efficiently. And I'm certainly no expert in private equity strategy, but I, I recognize that if there's a lot of money being spent by investors in a market, then that market eventually will probably have some consolidation. Um, I would say in terms of the, the competition, does it, does it hurt competition or does it facilitate new products in the market? I think that with all of the publicity around the funding that's happened in legal tech, I think there's bound to be more entrance into the market, thinking they can get companies mm-hmm. funded and get something up off the ground. I think it, to a certain extent, having more competition helps. You know, we are in a we are in a, the pre-execution space, Black Boiler is, uh, pre-execution and very focused on automated contract negotiation. The more people focus on that on that area, the more we stand out. The more people say, we're looking for a pre-execution tool that helps us negotiate faster, uh, the more people realize that we are a very unique solution and, and, and can solve a problem mm-hmm. that other people can't. With respect to, you know, hurting competition, I think that, you know, the competition is a direct result or the new entrance in the market is a direct result of the fact that a lot of the technologies that are out there don't solve all of the problems that people have. And so the larger companies, I don't think are as good at developing solutions for those areas that are not being addressed by the current solutions. Mm-hmm. New entrants in the markets do a better job of addressing those areas. Um, so I, you know, and I can't speak for all of legal tech. I'm, I speak generally about contract contracting. I, I definitely think there are, there's more room for more entrance here. You know, do I think we need another kind of contract generation tool out there? (laughs) Probably not. Do we need another Hmm. kind of classification and extraction tool for, you know, post execution review? I think there's probably enough tools in the market. 
mm-hmm. there. But I but I think there are other problems that people have in contracting that uh, that there are not solutions for yet. Yeah, that's a good segue to my next question, um, Dan. I know you're a firm believer in the concept of uh, not boiling the ocean and sort of sticking to what you know and and excelling at it. Um, so does this mean that that you or that Black Boiler uh, doesn't plan to look for other problems to solve within the contract review space? No, we certainly plan to solve other problems within contract review. There's not just the problem of contract negotiation that our tool can solve within the uh, the contracting space. Uh, our tool is largely a repetitive editing tool, so it can be used for things other than contracting. But in pre-execution space, it works for you know back and forth and negotiation. But our tool is also can be used for post-execution, uh, repapering projects is a place that we can we can use Black Boiler. Uh, so I think there's other areas, there's other things that are kind of adjacent to what we're doing right now, mm-hmm. where we can use Black Boiler. Um, you know, our clients are are always you know telling us about places where we can help them that are not tackling the whole or boiling the entire ocean of CLM. But we do also want to stay focused, right? We want to we want to be the leader in automated contract negotiation, automated markup, automated editing of documents. Yeah, I think that's actually one of the benefits of being a smaller company is that, you know, it allows you to be more nimble to sort of innovate and evolve more in real time, um, you know, based on what you're hearing from your your clients and what their needs are. Just switching gears a little bit, there's been, I think, a lot of talk in the last few months um, anyway, that the pandemic has really been an accelerator for a lot of things, but for the legal industry in particular, as it relates to technology adoption. Um, Just wondering what you've noticed in terms of any difference in legal tech purchasing habits since COVID-19 hit us just about a year ago. And you know, in what ways has has it resulted in maybe some other positive outcomes? Yeah, so I think COVID absolutely had a major impact on how people were brought buying uh, products or buying services in, in legal tech. One of the things that I noticed right away was that we no longer had fluff in our sales funnel. We no longer had people who were just out there experimenting or looking at the market and doing these kind of reports, market reports. We had people who had real problems that they were trying to solve. And those are those are the people we want to talk to, right? Like we uh, we like talking to people who have very specific problems that they can, they are trying to drive more efficiency with. And I think one of the things that's great there is if they have a very specific problem, we might be the fit, we might not. We know a lot of people in legal tech, we can pa- pass them off to the right person if we're not the right person. So I think that's one of the great things the other great thing is I think buyers became much more f- strategic, right? They they had to focus their strategy much more. And I think that was that was really good. I would say that we have, for the kind of middle part of last year, we had fewer people in our sales funnel, but we had more highly qualified people in our sales funnel. Now we're starting to see uh, kind of just a real explosion in the sales funnel, just going into from the end of last year, going into this year. And I would say with respect to the buying habits, I think with buying AI, I think purchasers are getting much smarter. 
when we first brought our brought our product to market, nobody even knew that this category even existed. And that's mm-hmm. understandable because we were the first players in the space. But now people are actually have budget to buy things like Black Boiler. They want to concentrate on pre-execution and how do they make that process faster uh, and, and less costly for the organization. So we already uh, touched on this a little bit, just the fact that the contract space is such a crowded space. Do you think that there is confusion specifically within contract review when it comes to the available solutions? Um, a lot of these websites sound the same. Um, so just curious, how, how do buyers know who does what? I think that's a, a good question. I think contract review space can be largely divided into two sections, the pre-execution and post-execution portion of contract review, with post-execution being tools that are primarily used in diligence and regulatory kind of investigations. And then pre-execution, those, those are there's a newer category, I think, largely. And pre-execution, you can lump into three buckets. You can have classification and extraction, risk assessment tools, and you can have tools that do automated contract markup, which is what we do and where we are the industry leader and the only patented software in that in that space. And so I think all of those fall underneath the umbrella of contract review, right? And so a lot of people, when they go and search, they search for contract review. And if you search in Google for contract review and you want to be you know, near the top of those search listings, you make sure that your website says contract review and has a lot of features related to that so that you rise up in the Google search rankings. And so because that's what people are looking for, that's a lot of the, the of how people describe it on their websites and in their marketing material, even though that, that market really should be largely segmented into four or five different categories between the pre-execution and post-execution space. And so I think there's a need to have a little bit more understanding, a little bit edu- of education in the in the market about what contract review or automated contract review is and the different categories within that space and i think if that happened there would be less confusion so i think it's a little bit of a chicken or the egg scenario are we going to educate the buyers about the the different segmentations in the market so that we then start looking for things and people start optimizing their websites for those things or you know is alternatively, are they going to start searching for those things first, and then people will change kind of how they market their their technology? But I think, I I think it'll happen just as the market matures and people get smarter about the the solutions that are out there and what exists. So you know, there's the the buying aspect of this, and then there's the hurdle of getting people to adopt the technology. You know, many lawyers, young lawyers in particular, are are still concerned that they might be replaced with technology. You know, Dan, what would you say just related to purchasing habits? What is something that legal tech companies need to know or be thinking about when they're selling their technology? I think it's number one is you have to educate your buyers um, and be and be realistic with them too. I don't think there's a technology in contract review that can replace an attorney right now. I think anything that is being sold in this space is something that has to be a partnership between the AI and the human to get superior results that are done faster and and are less costly. So I think it starts with 
that whole process that even that first discussion you have with a potential client about how the tool and the product's going to be used and also making sure they understand they're like that human in the loop is really important, right? They're really important to this process. Uh, so it's, we're not replacing you. We're kind of giving you, you know, some superpowers in some ways because you're going to be able to use your knowledge uh, across a whole lot more work than you would have been able to do otherwise. The other thing is I think too many tools are, are black box. Too much of this is people have no idea what's happening and why they're getting the results that they're getting. And so I think one of the things that's really important is to make sure that you empower that user to, to, to work with the AI so that they, it feels like a true partnership and, and that the, the human is control of, in control of the AI and what type of work it performs and how much of the work it tries to perform. I think, I think that's incredibly important because people have different tolerances for AIs making wrong decisions and all AIs will make some amount of wrong decisions. So if you give the human more control over that process, I think they'll be much more likely to adopt uh, and be power users of tools that, that rely on machine learning and artificial intelligence. Yeah, absolutely agree. And as we're speaking, Dan, it's uh, it's day two of Legal Week. And on our last episode, I had a chance to speak with Zach Warren from ALM. He's the editor of Legal Tech News. And we talked quite a bit about their virtual take on the event and offering actually multiple events throughout the course of the year. You know, a year ago, we were all at Legal Week in person in New York City, um, probably the last conference many of us attended actually in person. So just curious, what's been the most challenging for you, um, you know, personally, professionally, and, you know, for the industry about not being able to meet in person over this past year? So I think the thing that I've struggled with the most is that we, ha we had an office before COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, we we had actually just gone month to month on our lease because we were thinking about moving to a different location. And we, we canceled the lease and everybody started working from home. And I think the thing that's the, the hardest for me is about the communicating with, with our team. You have to be so deliberate in your communication. Uh, there's no kind of just osmosis of, of, of being by the water cooler and, and people chatting and understanding everything that's going on. And so having a, a the ability to be very deliberate with reaching out to people and talking to people and making sure everybody's got what they need to, to work, I think that's one of the things that uh, you know has been has been a challenge for me. We have a very mature team at Black Boiler, so a lot of people are used to being able to just go and work, but we still have to coordinate. So that's been hard. You know, I I mm -hmm. I'm somebody who's kind of really I enjoy going to like four conferences a year. I think it's a lot of fun uh, to meet people, to talk to clients and to talk to just people in the market. And I think it also is just a great way to generate a lot of excitement about what you're doing and about legal tech in general. And I, I still think there's a lot of excitement out there, but you know, it'd be great to go, you know, to be in, in New York right now with, with everybody and at legal tech or legal week and, and, and be staying up too late and mm -hmm. uh, you know, being exhausted. <laughs> by the end of the week, that would be a lot of fun. And it's, it stinks not to get to see people that you like to see in person and, and, you know, chat with and uh, grab a dinner with or whatever. And I think that's, that's, that, that's 
you know, it's sad that that's not happening. I also think there's, you know, a lot to, that can be done there with like in terms of collaboration within the within the market that doesn't necessarily happen organically when people are all working remotely. So I think those are kind of the different the challenges that we're having. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I would say that we're also, you know, by being home more, or, you know, actually home more. Um, the separation, the work-life separation is certainly more difficult. Yeah, the lines are definitely blurred. Yeah, you can always be working. And then I, I also believe that I'm, I'm able to focus, though, more on the things that we have to do as a business because you don't have to, you don't have to pick up and say, I'm going, to, I'm going here for three days and then I have to fly over here for, for another week. And so we're able to, you know, really focus on what we're trying to do. So I, I think, you know, there's some goods and there's some positives and negatives that came out of it. Um, although I am mm-hmm. excited to get out of my basement and work on all this again. So <laughs> now that we do have a vaccine available or it's, you know, being rolled out and being distributed um, across the country, do you think that we will ever sort of go back to normal or life, you know, as we knew it before the pandemic? Um, you know, what are some of the changes that you think have taken place that are maybe here for the the long run? Yeah, I I mean I think back to normal will definitely be different than what it ever was before. And when I was first asked this question, I th- I think maybe it might have been April or May of last year when I was first asked this question and the response I gave at the time was that I had read a couple years ago from somebody, I think it was at the Cleveland Clinic, I can't remember who it was, some researcher who said, you know, if you want to change habits, you have to change like your actions, your daily actions and changing daily actions don't become habits until you've done it for nine months. And then it just becomes something that you do. And I said, well, you know, this is April or May. And I said, well, maybe we might not get to that nine month period. So maybe this will just be a blip. What will we're, I think, I think we're past nine months now. (laughs) And so I I certainly, I I certainly think that uh, uh, behaviors will be changed permanently. I think Organizations will be more accepting. I know we are of people working remotely and from various locations in the United States or in the world. Uh, if you can, if you can get your work done wherever you are, I think people will be willing to have distributed teams. Uh, and I think that what the office looks like is going to be different too. We've we've already started talking about well, what do we want our office environment to look like? You know, we want some sort of we want some sort of hybrid between you know, everybody's in the office and, you know, everybody's at home, but we don't know what that looks like yet. So I certainly think we'll have a new normal in terms of our working uh, environment. Yep. Uh, Well, thank you, Dan, for joining us today. It's been fun hearing your thoughts and learning more about Black Boiler. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I, uh, I look forward to chatting again sometime soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of For the Record. You can listen to more episodes of For the Record wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or go to platform.com forward slash for the record. Platform helps established leaders and emerging growth companies articulate how cutting edge technologies and services are reshaping and reinventing the world we live in. Until next time, this is Aaron Harrison.